And out of the mysterious north rides a stranger riding like the wind on a gigantic white stallion. He rides, he rides, he rides. Where is he bound? Whither, oh, indeed, oh, stranger, goest thou? Oh. How'd you like that? You just don't hear stuff like that on a Murr Griffin show, I'll tell you. <laughs> Already you can see the whole thing there. The mysterious stranger riding a snow-white Mustang with a 287cc engine. La-da-da, getting six miles to the gallon downhill with a silly putty transmission. La-dee-dee, la Dignified and is just as reverent as the placing on the tongue. Second, I would like an end to calling priests father or a nun mother. It is so incongruous for an adult to address a young priest hardly out of his teens as father. Indeed, even as a young girl, I found it embarrassing to address priests as father. By the way, you often appear to be strangely silent when we would expect comments from you on religious matters and on politics. How can we know how our editor ticks if he is silent on big subjects? Dear lady, when you hear me beginning to tick, take cover. An explosion will be imminent. But the reason for my reticence about commenting on religious matters is usually this, that I just don't know the answer. Recently, a listener lamented that we had only one Irish saint. I reminded her of St. Patrick's in Bridget's in Column Kill. But Michael Hurley of Bridge Street, Bantry, County Cork, says... I had expected that many people would be writing in to put the record straight. However, as no one has appeared to do so, I believe that it behoves me to do the necessary. The fact is that we have only one canonised saint, repeat, canonised saint, St. Thomas More, if my memory serves me right, but I am open to correction on this detail. The other holy persons to whose names the prefix is appended, St. Patrick, St. Bridget, etc., are known as traditional saints. Well, St. Thomas More had no Irish blood, uh, as far as I'm aware. If we're both thinking of the same man, and I mean Henry VIII's most regrettable victim, then this Thomas More was born in London, of English parents, and he lived in or around London all his life. Now we come to the three-guinea letter. It's about the naming or numbering of houses in towns and cities. Mrs. Geraldine MacDonald of 26 Taney Rise, Dundrum, Dublin, wants it made compulsory to have numbers displayed on houses. If people also want to have a name on their residence, then by all means have one. But first things first, the number is the more important. On many housing estates you find the religious division. That is, St. Anne's, St. James, a couple of St. Jude's, Lourdesville, Prague and Fatima. Then comes the forestry division, the cedars, the elms, the laurels, Oakdean, the beeches and the palms. Then we come to the division in which most imagination is displayed. Let's call it the make-believe section, where you find hilltop, sea view, rose acres, glenside and green acres, all in the middle of a concrete jungle. Is it any wonder that people living in houses with fancy names and no numbers seldom get letters and are often left wondering why people never call to see them? For all practical purposes, they're anonymous. Three guineas to Mrs. Geraldine MacDonald of 26 Taney Rise, Dundrum, Dublin. Okay, now, <laughs> now hold it right there. Now just don't, don't move it at all there, friends. Uh, you're listening to Radio Aaron. That's the Irish radio, of course. And uh, this is a show which is one of their most popular shows called Dear Sir. 
and it's a show in which people write letters about any damn thing that's bugging them. <laughs> now, I think it would be a fantastic idea for American radio to have a show like that where they write... Now, nothing to do with writing a letter about the show or writing a letter about uh, television or radio. They just write letters about almost anything, and every week they give uh, little awards for a letter that particularly they find funny or it makes a point, like the three-guinea letter there you just heard. The lady received three guineas. You know how much three guineas is? Well, that's roughly about uh, a subway and a half ride. Uh, <laughs> but it's the spirit of the thing. It's not the awards you get. Uh, and she wrote a letter, as you could tell, by uh, about a problem that's been bugging her about people putting these ridiculous names on their houses instead of uh, numbers. Now, of course, we don't have that in this country. If you're living in a in a you know a house someplace, you don't call it uh, oh like uh, Murchison Acres. Uh, or uh, <laughs> something like uh, like uh, uh, Bantry Moat, uh, which would be a typical name of a of a medieval place. Uh, we we have street numbers in our in our country, but over there it's not at all uncommon for a guy to have a cottage and he gives it some unbelievable name like uh, like uh, Macawber Place. He just puts a sign up there. He just calls it that. That's the hell with the numbers. Street number. He might be living in 1722 and a half Dawson Road, but he doesn't use that. He uses the name of, uh, you know, something like uh, like uh, the Rones. It's a great name. Now, you know, that, that uh, that's a little bit much, especially when you find out it's a room and a half with an outside toilet. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, you're listening to Radio Aaron, and the only reason I, I brought this in tonight is because I want to, I know that Americans today are the most travel-conscious people in the world. They, they really do. They, I think Americans travel more than any other people in the history of mankind. I'm, I'm, I mean that. that. That no matter where you go, you find Americans traveling. <laughs> I've seen elderly ladies going across uh, turbulent rivers in the northern provinces of India on balsa wood rafts. Uh, carrying their Instamatic cameras, bound for what? Well, they're American ladies. They're known as the Blue Rinse Brigade, by the way, around the world. For those of you who have cured, <laughs> they really are. Uh, one of the curious things about American ladies is that they do tend to dye their hair blue, which is not found in any other tribe. But nevertheless, <laughs> whenever I travel, I'm, I'm just going to give you a tip as an experienced traveler. I've traveled professionally in many parts of the world, and I mean professionally in many such diverse roles as, say, for example, aboard an aircraft carrier into the Middle East to film a movie uh, for the Navy Department in such places as Lebanon. Uh, this is a very different thing than, say, traveling on the 21-day uh, extended luxury tour through American Express. This is something else. And I and I found out a lot of things. Among those things, I'd like to pass along a few of these things. Now, I just got back from Ireland, in case you're listening in on this and you don't know what is happening. But I just spent two weeks in Ireland, traveling all over Ireland. Uh, not, uh, I didn't get too far north I didn't because I had already been to Northern Ireland. And I had never really explored the far south all the way through County Kerry, uh, that whole area, the Ring of Kerry. Have you ever heard of the Ring of Kerry? You don't know much about this? Well, it's almost impossible to describe. It's it's uh, it's like uh, 
Uh, the Ring of Kerry, is the, the, the Kerry Peninsula is a peninsula that extends out into the Atlantic far down on the southern, the southwestern coast of Ireland. It extends far out to sea, and it's a wild, uh, completely uh, dramatic part of the world. I mean dramatic. It's all uh, great cliffs and uh, tremendous coves and great roaring seas. And as you drive around the Ring of Kerry, which is a, the Ring of Kerry is actually a trip. Uh, that, that It's a ring, a road that goes all around this peninsula that sticks out into the ocean there. And in many places, it's only maybe a lane, one lane wide. It's one of the wildest, uh, dangerous rides I've ever seen in my life, where you will be riding along the edge of a mountain, on, a, on the side of a mountain, maybe 2,000 feet above the surface of the sea, which is below you, almost uh, almost a sheer drop. And you're driving along on a tiny lane-wide road uh, on the side of this mountain, and they don't have fences like we would have. They have just a little mound of grass beside the road that's maybe, oh, six inches wide. And from that on, time on down, it's Nellie Bar the Door. So you drive, especially on a windy day, and it's a very interesting experience. And down below you, you see this great sea, uh, these tremendous cliffs, and and uh, and uh, sheep will occasionally come come tearing across the road. Sheep, wild sheep, literally. Well, of course, they're they're domestic sheep, but they become wild. They live on the sides of these mountains, and they're owned by various sheep herders. But they're very wild animals. Uh, sheep and and uh, occasionally a donkey will come. Uh, down the road, but this is a very wild part of the world down there. That's the Ring of Kerry. This is WOR New York, incidentally. And uh, what I do, and I'd like to like to tell you, you should do this. It's it's a necessity. I never travel anywhere in the world, um, and I haven't for some years, unless I carry with me in my bag. I carry a good transistor radio. Now. In addition to that, carry extra batteries for it. Because in many parts of the world, notably the Far East, believe it or not, you have a lot of trouble getting batteries. Uh, and if you do, they're of very, very unbelievably poor quality. The batteries that are often sent out of the Far East to here, we buy a lot of Japanese and so on batteries, do not at all compare with the kind of batteries that you get, say, in India, uh, which have a lifespan of maybe, oh, eight or nine milliseconds. Uh... And uh, it's like putting a bunch of Tootsie Rolls in your radio. Forget it. It won't work. And uh, I would suggest you take batteries along with you and take this radio with you. Be sure you tell the customs guy on the way out you got it. And uh, wherever you go, listen to the radio because you get a fantastic sense of the life of the country, much more than you get by just looking at the scenery. It adds to it. And uh, you, you, you begin to hear things and you begin to sense things by listening to the radio that you would never get going into a, a, just a place. For example, I went into a, a joint <laughs> town in, in a small town in Cary. This is a non-tourist town, really a primitive town uh, on the coast. And I walked into this Wimpy Burger place. They have a little joint there where they sell. They have a, wimp, a chain called Wimpy. And uh, you go in there. And I wonder how many people... I, I, I sat there in this place... And uh, all the Irish people, when there were farmer people come in, they're getting their fish and chips, and they were buying a wimpy burger banquet meal, which consists of a hamburger and some, some potatoes and so on. 
And uh, I wondered, it hit me right away, I wonder if these people could tell me who Wimpy was. I guess they think he was the guy that started the chain. And why, what is, what is Wimpy's connection with the hamburger? I wonder how many of you in the control room could tell me. That's right. Uh, Wimpy was to the hamburger as Popeye was to spinach. Uh, Wimpy was a character who, uh, who was uh, like a W.C. Fields character. And what was his famous phrase? I'll pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today if you'll lend me. <laughs> and he was always he was always borrowing money for hamburgers. He was he was a hamburger addict. He had the monkey on his back, and of course, with the advent of McDonald's, and many people got that monkey again. Uh, you know, the, the 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 big boy and the the Big Mac has uh, you know got you by the things you know, and you just can't escape it. <laughs> now, before we go any further, Ed, would you play uh, one of those little goodies there for a uh, commercial? That's it. The Jets Cardinals football game at eight oh five tomorrow night over WOR Radio is brought to you in part by M M&M and M Mars, the fun size candy people, and I'm Dave Herman for all the commentary throughout the game. Okay, gang. General Tire, of course, it's inevitable. Someday you'll own. No doubt about Someday it. Someday, now, if you listen to American Sooner Radio, you'll learn what American life is about. One commercial after the other, right? That gives the sensitive people far more, yes. General Tire is having its big pre-Labor Day tire sale. They're going to celebrate Labor Day by knocking off a little on the tires there. And uh, you can get down to your General Tire dealer and save uh, all kinds of dough on black walls, white walls, all kinds of tires. You ask them about whatever size it is you use, whether you're using an Irish male or you got a, a scooter or a pair of roller skates that they do tires, go down to your general tire dealer and tell them that you're here for his Sooner pre-Labor Day sale and you want to talk to him. Sooner or later. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. Our air shipping service is better. Our service is better. Ours goes anywhere. To bring sanity to the clutter of air shipping claims, here's a message from Tom Cole, president of REA Air Express, to clear the air once and for all. Look, every air shipping service claims it's faster, bigger, or whatever. I say put up or shut up. Last year, REA Air Express handled a million shipments more than Emory, Airborne, and Shulman combined. Only Air Express offers priority boarding of your shipments on the first flight out. And only Air Express gives door-to-door service to 450 airport cities and 22,000 communities under the control of one carrier, one management. Insist on the original Air Express, REA Air Express. It's the service with the differences that you, the shipper, demand. So prove it yourself, like six and a half million shippers did last year. Just look us up in the white or yellow pages and call for a fast pickup. But whatever you do, don't be fooled by imitators. Things are confused enough. His daddy played cornet and his mama played honky-tonk piano. He was born on a bus traveling to a one-night stand in Joplin. He picked up a guitar when he was seven and he's never put it down. And for the last 30 years, he's plied his trade, playing blues and rock and country making some of the sweetest music you'll ever hear. He works when most people relax in a thousand nameless saloons that dot the land. So when he relaxes, he gets real loose. 
heads for some old sidemen and the best tasting beer he can find. If you've got the time, we've got to be the babu do 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 do. That's what Miller time is all about. Appreciate the difference between a good beer and a great beer. Miller High Life, America's quality beer since 1855. Yeah, Miller Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Minnesota. It's a lovely town. Now you know, and and to prove the thesis that I've that I've got here about the various radio around. The world, you you won't find this true of television. Now uh, it may surprise you to know that most of uh, say television in Ireland and in throughout the great well Great Britain and and large areas of Europe are dominated by American uh, syndicated dramatic shows. And so you turn on and what do you see? You turn on the television. What do you get? You get Cannon. And there you are in the middle of Ireland. You figure you're going to see something Irish. You get Cannon, right? So uh, you say, "Well, I'll wait till that's over." And who comes on after that? Ironsides. And uh, <laughs> why? Well, because it's cheap, you know, really. And uh, and uh, they can get these things uh, practically for nothing. So they play them all over the world, and it dominates the television in the various countries. Now, radio, not so. Radio is what it is. And every night, wherever I travel. I take out my radio, and I, when you know, after the day is done, and uh, I'm through doing what I want to do, and I'll turn it on, and I'll tune around. Now, for example, in Ireland, at night on the broadcast band, we're not talking about uh, FM here. We're talking about the broadcast band. At night, you can hear all the stations of the continent coming in. You tune around, you hear, you'll hear uh, Radio Hilversum. Uh, I've done some shows out of there, by the way, Radio Hilversum, which is the Amsterdam radio. That's uh, Very international. Uh, I you could hear Radio Luxembourg. You hear uh, even some uh, times at certain day, days when the weather's right. You'll hear Radio Moscow coming. This is broadcast. Uh, they have tremendous carrying power, uh, and they listen to it. So so radio gives you a real sense of the world. Television no, because it's local. But radio is just goes on. Now, I loved. To listen to Irish radio because Irish radio, in a curious way, is far less inhibited than our radio. Radio Erin has two or three services. Uh, they don't. They know it's state, of course. It's state radio. Uh, no, they have commercials on it. Incidentally, one one of their services has commercials, and it's, it's kind of great to hear their commercials. Their commercials are sort of, uh, uh, well, for example, I heard one commercial when this guy came on. And he says, I, "I would like to tell you about how I got rid of the midges in my sheep." And he did a whole thing about getting rid of the midges in his sheep. And he used, "I use RD four seventy two to get rid of the midges in my sheep." And now I find that I have a midge free, uh, I have a midge free herd. <laughs> and, you know, kind of great to hear a commercial for getting rid of midges in sheep. And uh, you just don't hear that kind of stuff. <laughs> and this was in Dublin, the big city, so. Nevertheless, uh, this—if you want to hear a little more of Radio Aaron, I've, I've got some more here. It's—it it ranges all all kinds of things you hear on it. You just turn almost any hour of the day, you're going to hear something exotic. Incidentally, the number one music now throughout the continent and and including Great Britain is no longer rock. Rock is as dead as Artie Shaw's frenzy. 
Uh, it, it, it has a dated quality to it, and only in America, where incidentally I think radio stations are tied to formats, they're not going to change uh, for years on end, uh, are they sticking to the old rock or the last stronghold? All over the continent, uh, country western has become the absolute hottest thing. Uh, Merle Haggard is just uh, really red hot. Uh, now, that surprises most of us here. We don't realize how old-fashioned we are. We think that country western is an old idea. <laughs> it's not to, to a European. He never heard Dolly Parton uh, belting out Mule Skinner blues. <laughs> I mean, this is a whole new ball game. He's heard rock for 20 years. He's had it up to here with rock. But, uh, but the sound of Merle Haggard singing White Line Fever, that's a whole new scene. And uh, this is a show. I'd like to play a little more of it. Listen to these, these letters. These are really interesting. I, I recorded this on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, t this is a show called Dear Sir. And everybody in Ireland listens to this uh, because the, the letters have to be listened to with the right ear, remember. A lot of these are tongue-in-cheek. A lot of them are designed to be funny. And the Irishmen recognize this. And so they're read absolutely straight face like the lady who won't call the priest father. Uh, you know. So, so here is a little bit more of Dear Sir, last Sunday on Radio Aaron. Those letters we got about the advertisement for a fly killer, which, it is claimed, will kill 10,000 flies in a room within the hour. Theresa McCartney of 20 Kincora Park, Tontaf, Dublin, asks... Are we to understand from this advertisement that it takes 57 minutes for one fly to die... Or are some flies more resistant than others? Flies are a serious health hazard and must be dealt with. But for my money, a swift swipe with a newspaper or magazine is still by far the most effective treatment. Think of the contamination that could occur in the kitchen in the 57 or so minutes that it takes the fly killer to act. This advertisement, and indeed many more as well, have been annoying me for some time. I'm relieved to hear now that you at see why you listen to Radio Aaron when you're over there. Although from a different angle than from me. Never thought of that. Huh? This is 57 Bernadette minutes Green to kill a fly. Five prior park on Melbourne recently went on holiday to her native county, which happens to be close to the border. While she was there, she visited a Protestant family who had been friends and neighbors of her own family for many years. We talked of the tragic situation in the north. The man of the house made some comments which I think are full of wisdom and truth. Why can't we live together in peace? Life is far too short to spend it in this terrible way. The simple words of a kindly, sincere man. He and his family are the personification of good neighborliness and generosity. He himself has been a semi-invalid for a very long time and has borne his illness with courage and fortitude. But what a refreshingly healthy outlook he has on life and his fellow human beings. Would that the sick men and women of violence could be converted to his way of thinking. Would indeed. As for the suggestion we had recently that the reason Irish married couples in the old days didn't need contraceptives was that they worked so hard during the day that Listen they were only letter. fit for sleep by the time they got to bed. Well, a housewife in Clontarf, Dublin, reveals that... From my own childhood experience in a passionately inclined rural area 40 <laughs> years ago, I can say with certainty there was no need for contraceptives because the husbands generally spread their custom and were too fagged <laughs> out to make further demands on their delighted wives when they staggered home. Your correspondent was right when she said the countrymen were fit only to sleep when they hit the hay. 
But what she called hard work had plenty of variety in it. <laughs> well, if what you say is true, then surely their need for contraceptives was the more pressing than ever if the unmarried ladies in the neighborhood were to preserve their reputation. Besides, hard workers or not, old-time Irish parents are famous, notorious, if you wish, for the size of their families. If you'll pardon this bit of autobiography, one of my grandfathers was well known to be a very hard worker, yet he had 17 children. My other grandfather was equally well known not to have done a stroke of work in his life, yet he had only two children. <laughs> and you can interpret these statistics any way you like. <laughs> Mrs. Kathleen Hurley of Sheheri Kilarney asks... Don't you think it should be illegal for children under eight or nine to cycle on the public roads without supervision? Some five- and six-year-olds who can't differentiate between right-hand and left-hand... Now you see why everybody listens to this show. cars, other bicycles, and even pedestrians where Incidentally, no uh, I'd like to point out something that may... may just keep it behind me just a little Child bit. May, may, uh, may be interesting to you that the accent you're hearing is the accent of, uh, of the cultured Irish national. In other words, what we consider the Irish accent that you always hear on the stage and all that is really the country accent mostly. And this is the cultured accent of a, of a, of a school who was refused a contributory old age pension, even though he had paid in 36 Sounds English to you, doesn't it? The conditions for eligibility to receive social welfare benefits are laid down in the Social Welfare Acts. The much maligned civil service merely administer these about, acts. Uh, they have no power to welfare. alter statutory regulations. This is a matter for the politicians who shed such bitter tears when their unfortunate constituents fail to get the benefits they consider they are entitled to. It's easy to throw the blame onto the civil servants. But even if the conditions were changed by the politicians, there would always be the odd man out. If 26 contributions were necessary, there would be the person with only 25. If a mere two contributions were required, there would be the unlucky man with only one. A large part of the monies for the payment of social welfare benefits is provided from contributions by the genuine workers who keep the wheels of commerce and industry in motion. It is an amazing fact that many of the dolers who exist on social assistance are apparently able to live more comfortably than the workers who supply the wherewithal for their drinking and their bingo. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? A survey to establish what proportion of social welfare benefits is spent on drink might be worthwhile. I suggest that an all-out campaign should be mounted by the Department of Social Welfare to eliminate the parasites who will not work. Also to seek out the large numbers who do work, but without having cards stamped and draw dole at the same time. If such a campaign was successful, the funds saved would go a long way to provide pensions for deserving cases like your correspondent from Cork. Five guineas to that listener in Churchtown, Dublin. We hope to have his letter read out Five again. Five guineas. They're going to read this one again next, on here. But in any event, uh, another guinea will be awarded to him for the option. <laughs> well, that's all we have for you from Dear Sir or Madam this week. Thank you very much for troubling to write to us. And we offer our usual word of apology to those whose letters couldn't be fitted in. However, as always, next Saturday, and we'll be here again. And if you wish to write to us, the address is Dear Sir or Madam, RTE Dublin 4. Please don't forget to put your full name and address on your letters, though we don't read these out if you ask us not to. So, until 10 to 7 next Saturday, goodbye, friends. This week's letters were read by Anya Moynihan, Celia Solkeld, Connor Farrington and Jim Reed.
Dear Sir or Madam is edited and presented by John O'Donovan and produced by Petronella O'Flanagan. Now it's 20 minutes past seven. Yes, Marie, Liam de Valley here issuing another invitation to music. The music being provided by the IT Light Orchestra leader, Audrey Park. This week's conductor is Common Pierce. And as guest artists, we have Francesca Schwinczewska, Audrey Chisholm, pianist, and Sean Mitten, bass. The plot of the opera, The Merry Wives of Windsor, derives from... Okay, now that's... Uh, now, now you can change over to get the, uh, to get the cork musicians. The cork musicians. Uh, before we do that... Uh, I'd like to also tell you some of the other things that I heard on uh, Radio Aaron. I heard some of the most fascinating commentary on the resignation of President Nixon. Now, I was over there at the time, and it may interest you to know that the resignation speech and the, all the, the whole thing that went along with it was broadcast live on uh, radio and television throughout the British Isles, as well as carried throughout all of the continent live by satellite. It was two in the morning over there. It was fantastically dramatic because everybody stayed up all over uh, Ireland and Great Britain and uh, throughout uh, Europe to watch this. And uh, afterwards, the Irish commentators came on and talked about it. Very interesting because you get a completely different perspective from over there than you got here. And listening to these... uh, to these Europeans talk about Nixon, you got a different idea. One thing I heard one, one Irishman say, very interesting line. Uh, the day after, of course, since it's obvious that I have a, a very obvious uh, American accent, wherever I went in, in Ireland, it would you even look American, you know. Uh, the Irishmen, you know, rarely wear what we would call hip clothes. That's not worn in Ireland, uh, even among the young and the hip. Uh, hip clothes in Ireland consist of, a, of an elegantly cut suit. You wear a suit all the time. Even the peasants in the field wear a suit when they're working. It's curious. Uh, most Americans hardly ever wear suits anymore unless you work in an insurance company or something. You don't wear suits, but they, they, don't, wear suit, uh, they don't wear the kind of clothes we wear. Uh, there's been a very great... And they don't have the forever... They don't, I suppose you can call it the forever young syndrome either. You don't see an Irishman over the age of 10 walking around town with a uh, wild shirt and beads hanging on him and his hair hanging down to his neck. This is only in America does every 40-year-old guy still think he's, uh, uh, let's say, he's uh, a contemporary of uh, the Beatles, we'll say, for argument's sake. <laughs> and and uh, but, uh, By the way, one of the great refreshing things about Ireland is is... There's no such thing over there as the generation gap. It's, that's an American concept here. And, and, and I think it has a lot to do with our hang-up on media. Uh, the average Irishman never listens to the radio or watches television much. He's always walking around in the rain and uh, kicking Pete around. And uh, that's spelled with an A. Not old Pete, the one you kick occasionally, you know. Uh, in the neighborhood there, but he he, uh, he 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 approaches everybody else as a fellow human being. So you'll see a guy of nineteen in a pub arguing with a guy of seventy-two on an absolutely equal basis. None of this. Uh, it would never occur to an Irish kid to say, "Well, you don't understand because you're not of my generation." <laughs> oh my God! Hey, they'd, they'd pour a, 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 a jar of Guinness on his head because he's obviously going mad. 
<laughs> so, so this is another society over there, and you begin to realize that human beings are human beings. They don't have such things as generations. That's a, that's a myth, uh, a very, very strong myth, but one we hold dear in this country. Now, listening to them talk about uh, Nixon, though, was fascinating. I went into this pub in a town called Nace, N-A-A-S, which is a country town, nice town, by the way, and I stopped into the pub. It was 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought I'd have myself a little jar of Guinness, which is a very civilized drink. And I sat down and I ordered the Guinness. And immediately the guy sitting next to me having his uh, his plate of uh, salmon and he was having a, a lager of harp, he turned to me and he says, I want to, I want to, I want to say the, how sorry I am about the problems you Americans are going through. And I said, well, thank you very much. He said, you know, one thing that bothers me, I'm curious about your attitude of this, and I'm not going to attempt uh, his Irish accent, just suggest it a bit here, but he says, uh, well, well, you know, he says, I- I'm interested. He says, the Americans seem to me to be a people, one of the few people I know of, who believe in revenge. And he was referring to Nixon. In other words, there's a lot of people who would love to see Nixon in jail, chained up, <laughs> given bread and water. And he says, what? He says, it seems to me that a civilized man would have to say to himself, that a man who has transgressed and has been forced to resign from a position as important as the presidency has undoubtedly paid as high a price as any human being could possibly pay. And what, and of course, a lot of Americans, nah, nah, put him in jail. And that's, that shows something about our, our nature. We're not forgiving people. Uh, in other words, I I say, as far as I'm concerned, sure, I mean, punishment is punishment. The man's been punished. But how much more punishment do you want? Well, that's that's where the difference between one society and the other. And I'm making no editorial, though. I heard this all over Ireland. People felt sorry after Nixon had retired and resigned. They said, oh, yes, the man did very wrong. But he's paid for it now. And I say, yes. (laughs) What, what, What gain you? to pursue a man through endless alleys of retribution. Well, if you love that kind of thing, it probably gains a lot if you're a small man. And uh, I say it's not easy to be a large man. So you hear this kind of talk in Ireland. You don't hear it much in America. Well, uh, so it's, it's always interesting to get out of the country and get a perspective. And I was delighted to be in another country during all these great political upheavals because I was where uh, other people were talking about it. And uh, it was fascinating the next day to hear them conjecturing about Mr. Ford, President Ford. And uh, I have a lot of that on tape, which I will play in the in the couple of days in the next two or three shows. And you'll hear what the Irish commentators said about Mr. Ford uh, and how they compare him with certain types of people they have living in Ireland, certain kind of men. Uh, very interesting uh, and their, their, their analysis, by the way, of American politicians is always extremely interesting to me because the Irish are a very political race. As a matter of fact, they've contributed pro- probably more politicians to American life than any other single national group, including John Kennedy and dozens of, uh, of uh, politicians all over America who have been Irish. So they're not, uh, let's put it this way, naive about politics. They're, in fact, more civilized about them than we are. Uh, we think of politics as a game that should be won or lost. Uh, and also, we like to see 
our football team defeat the other football team by a hundred touchdowns, not just one, but a hundred. <laughs> to completely annihilate them. But that's another game. And before we go any further, how about a few little whoopies here for you? Someday you'll own, someday you'll own, sooner or later you'll own generals. Hey, listen, I thought we were going to have weavers, but we got generals again. General tires, my George. It's uh, the pre-Labor Day sale out there of tires. And uh, one thing about general tires, they're so round and uh, so bouncy. And and even if you don't need tires, you ought to buy a couple of these, uh, lay them in, and put them in your living room, make them into a coffee table. The crowd would love it. Wonderful conversation piece, and they smell good, too. General Tires having their pre-Labor Day sale, so get on down there. It's inevitable. Sooner or later, you'll own Generals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sooner or later, you'll own the Generals. Hey, uh, what do you got for lunch today, Bill? Ab sandwich. What do you got? Meatloaf. Weaver Fried Chicken is delicious! Fred again? What's with him anyway? Weaver Fried Chicken is juicy! Oh, that's yeah, the Fred voice of America. Every time his wife puts Weaver Fried Chicken Weaver. in his lunch. Today he must have batter dipped. He had Dutch Fried Chicken. Gotta pronounce it. It's Weaver. The difference? Weaver Fried Chicken is He's a star. He's on television. Uh, Weaver Dutch Fry has a really crispy, crunchy breading, and Weaver Batter Dipped is coated with a sweet pancake-type batter. My wife says... <laughs> The guttural accents of the yeah. South Bronx. Now, Fred's running around yelling. Let's go see if there's any weaver chicken left in his lunch bag. Hey, good idea. Good idea. Look, two yeah. pieces. Let's try it. Hey, weaver fried chicken is delicious. It's crispy. It's juicy. Fred's white the gourmets. Weaver, so great you'll have to tell someone. <laughs> we are a strange race. Is your best time of day the same as mine? Evening, when the heat of the day is gone and everybody's just taking it easy? What do you do to take it easy? Do you have one special thing like taking a long bath or listening to music? Do you know what lots of people do? Do you know they have a beer? And do you know that one brand of beer that's been around for a long, long time is suddenly the beer lots of people are drinking? Do you know that beer is Valentine beer? And do you know the reason is because Ballantine is the best-tasting beer around? Have you had a Ballantine beer lately? Shouldn't you give it a try one of these evenings? Tonight? Why do we keep asking you these questions about beer? Because we've got the answer. The only answer. Ballantine. P. Ballantine. Old Ballantine and Sons of Cranston, Rhode Island. In the current issue of TV Guide, a nostalgic look at Major League Baseball's first televised game. On August 26, 1939, the Cincinnati Reds beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 5-2 in the first game of a doubleheader. Red Barber, who did the play-by-play announcing, recalls the day. The same issue focuses on the cable TV blues. New York City was one of the first, and obviously the largest, wired for cable. With the project partially completed the companies have run into unforeseen problems. A report on some of the stumbling blocks. 
This week, TV Guide's cover story talks to a girl with a $100,000 smile. Susan Blakely is a top-flight TV model, and she made most of the money from doing commercials. An examination on the strenuous business of looking happy in TV Guide, America's biggest-selling magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. Now this is this is the sound of the Cork musicians uh, performing live in the studios in Cork on Radio Era. And this was a day later, and you'll notice there's a lot of static on this. But uh, these old duffers gather every Sunday in the studio, and they play traditional music of the of the county. And of the area. They sing, don't they? I bought it back to the woman and said, Mum, would you be so kind? It's all right. They're waiting now. Now, this was on, on, on the show. Somebody cut the poor guy's mic is what happened. They got bad engineers over there, too, Ed. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're talking about other people we know. And they and later on, they come on the show and apologize for that, for cutting Mulcahy's uh, mic. Well, even if the call came, I could disappear as we still have the song. That was Jimmy Crowley. All right, bring up the, bring up the theme. You've been listening to Radio Aaron, uh, taped off the air when I was over there. Incidentally, one of the greatest signs I ever saw in my life was crossing a railroad crossing outside of uh, a town in County Kerry, in County Clare, as a matter of fact, and uh, all down the street, of course, this little narrow road that was out in the country. I was crossing a railroad crossing, and there's a sign. It says, phone ahead for undue conven- uh, inconveniences, meaning if somebody's blocking the track, some engineer has stopped right there. You call up, and they send him on his way. You know, I kind of like that. And underneath it was another sign. It says, uh, all animal herds must call ahead before crossing. You just don't see that kind of sign walking around Newark. You just don't. And I could just see this guy. Say, Mel Cahey, would you please stop the 714? Sean is coming through with them buggers of his, and he's had a couple of jars, you know, and he's going to be all over the tracks for an hour and a half, and uh, we just got to stop the 514. He'll be coming across with them cows of his. And you know how he is when he's got a jar or two in him. (laughs) By the way, a jar over there refers always to a pint of Guinness. I'll stop by for a jar on my way home. Yeah. Yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Roger Skibbenus. He's next.